It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, November 27, 2020. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Ten new coronavirus cases were reported in Sitka on Wednesday and Thursday. The patient age ranges vary, from two teenagers to a patient in his 60s. Half of the new cases are patients in their 20s. All are Sitka residents. All 10 patients received testing earlier this week. Most of them were experiencing symptoms at the time of testing, according to city data. At least six of the new cases are classified as secondary, meaning they likely contracted the virus from a known local positive case, usually someone in the same household or a co-worker. As of 5 p.m. on Thursday, contact tracing was still in progress for two of the new patients, and information on their symptom status and virus transmission wasn't yet available on the city's COVID-19 dashboard. Sitka has now reported 188 coronavirus cases since the pandemic began. As of Thursday evening, 39 of those cases were still considered active, according to city data. Information about the coronavirus has constantly evolved since the start of the pandemic in March. This fall, KCAW hosted two events to bring our listeners up-to-date information from public health experts. Infectious disease epidemiologist Dr. Tom Hennessy answered questions at the most recent Ask a COVID Expert event on November 18th. Questions ranged from the basic, like where the virus came from and how it spreads, to the more granular, like what the cycle threshold is for coronavirus tests to return a positive result. Hennessy worked for the CDC as an infectious disease researcher for 25 years, and he's been involved in Alaska's response to COVID-19. He said that when the pandemic began, he was a mask skeptic because the scientific evidence supporting mask wearing wasn't yet available. But since then, a number of studies have shown their effectiveness. By themselves, they're not perfect, but they are, it's sort of like going out in the winter. You know, you wouldn't go out with just gloves on. You go out with gloves, boots, and a jacket. So the masks are like the gloves. The distance is like the jacket. The boots is like, keep your contact with other people short. And so those things all together add up to a warmer winter coat and better uh, protection for um, the individual. Hennessy also recommended that people who've had COVID-19 and recovered still follow the same protocols of masking and social distancing. A lot is still unknown about the virus, and there have been documented cases of reinfection, he said. And it's one of the mysteries right now, but the short answer to this very important question is, yes, you can get COVID twice. And sometimes the second infection is worse than the first one. To read more of Hennessy's answers to questions about the coronavirus or watch the full Ask a COVID Expert event, you can visit our website, kcaw.org. A Social Security phone scam seems to have gotten a second wind as we head into the holiday season. As KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports, the latest version of the scam actually includes a threat of arrest if victims don't comply. I got the call on my cell phone on November 24th, and I wasn't the only one. This is Ashley, an agent at the Juneau office of the Social Security Administration. We get calls every day, and I get them on my own personal cell phone number. That's right. The scammers have attempted to scam the people who work at the agency they're trying to impersonate. Ashley told me that the calls have gotten more menacing, though. They say that some criminal activity has been associated with your social security number, and if you don't call back right away and straighten it out and pay a fine or whatever, they'll issue a warrant for your arrest. This isn't the exact call I got, but it's close. I obtained the recording from the Office of the Inspector General of the Social Security Administration. Enforcement agencies to suspend your social security number on an immediate basis as we have received suspicious trails of information in your name 
The moment you receive this message, I need you to get back to me on my department division toll-free number that is 1888. So far, it sounds reasonable enough, but the scammers quickly turn up the heat. Now if I don't hear a call from you, we will have to issue an arrest warrant under your name and get you arrested, so get back to me as soon as possible. Thank you. You heard it right. They're going to issue a warrant in your name and get you arrested. In one call, the scam slips from the helpful-sounding bureaucratic high ground to playground smack talk. My only regret over this event is that I waited too long to respond. Less than 24 hours after I got the call from a Washington, D.C. number, it had been shut down. So I never had the chance to pass along a debit or credit card number, which is what the scammers are after. That's because this scam has been circulating for almost a year, and the Social Security Administration is aware of it. And although I was eager to call and talk to the scammers, if possible, that doesn't mean you should be. The Office of the Inspector General of the Social Security Administration has clear advice on what to do. If you receive a call like this, you should hang up. If you receive a voicemail, email, or text like this, do not respond. If there is a problem with your Social Security number or record, Social Security will mail you a letter. If you need to submit payments to Social Security, the agency will send a letter with instructions and payment options. Too true. If the government wants to reach you, they'll find you through the U.S. Postal Service, which has its own policing system for fraud and scams. If you get a call, you don't have to do anything but hang up. However, if you want to report it, you can call a Social Security office in Juneau, Anchorage, or Fairbanks and let them know, and you can file a report online with the Social Security Administration. The best defense against this latest version of the Social Security scam is to know that it exists and that their database includes phone numbers in Alaska, mine, and probably yours. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. A new hydroelectric plant in Cake means the Kupernoff Island Village will no longer have to rely solely on diesel generators for its electricity. The multi-million dollar Gunnick Creek Hydro project came online earlier this fall and its proponents hope it will lower the cost of energy and bring the remote community one step closer to energy independence. KCAW's Erin McKinstry reports. Residents of Cake have been experiencing intermittent power outages this fall as the Gunnick Creek plant comes online. That's all part of normal growing pains, says Jody Mitchell, the CEO and general manager of the Inside Passage Electric Cooperative, or IPEC. The nonprofit provides electricity to a handful of southeast Alaska towns. When you build a new generation project in a remote village, you don't just turn it on like you just plug in a new appliance. You have to do a lot of adjustments and tweaking basically to optimize the hydro output and minimize the diesel output. Aside from a small solar project, Cake relies on diesel generators for electricity. Since the Gunnett Creek Hydro project was turned on in September, it saved the town 2,500 gallons of diesel fuel. IPEC will still rely on diesel generators during dry times and as a backup source of electricity, but Mitchell says that at a minimum, the plant will cut diesel consumption in half over time. And hopefully that will translate to a reduction in rates. The less fuel we have to consume, that's the savings that gets passed on to the customer. A quest for more affordable energy is at the heart of Cake's exploration of renewables like solar, biomass heating, and now hydro. 
The cost of living in rural Alaska is high, and residential electricity rates in Cake are more than double the national average. Well, obviously we're paying too much for electricity and for heating. That's Joel Jackson, the president of Cake's tribal government, the organized village of Cake. He and other community leaders worked with IPEC during the project's planning stages. There's no silver bullet that will, you know, sustain us off the grid, but uh, I think using a couple of different things as we move forward will lessen the cost of living here. Whether this new plant will translate to lower rates is complicated for a variety of reasons. For one, IPEX rates are based on sales. The more electricity they sell, the lower their rates are. So if enough residents implement energy-saving measures like installing LED lighting or energy-efficient appliances, their rates may actually go up. Also, because IPEX serves multiple communities, any savings from the hydro would be distributed throughout the region. And residential customers benefit from something called power cost equalization, a state subsidy that helps offset the cost of energy. As IPEX costs go down, so do the state subsidies. But that program doesn't include schools, businesses, and churches, Mitchell says, so that could translate to lower prices for goods and services. The goal is there, if we can reduce rates to those entities, they can provide more jobs. Um, It will spur economic development in our communities. IPEC paid for the bulk of the nearly $9 million project with state and federal grant funds. The dam was already in place, built by the Army Corps of Engineers in 2007 to help secure Cake's water supply. IPEC constructed a penstock and a powerhouse, and Jackson expressed concern about the possible impact of construction on the salmon runs in Gunnett Creek. There's always negative sides to things, and of course, you know, it's a fish stream, so I hope that don't disturb, you know, the fish return in there. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game conducted site visits as part of Gunnett Creek's permitting process, and their reports show limited to no impact on fish runs. Gunnett Creek also supports a hatchery, and manager Ryan Schumann says the hydro plant will actually help them by providing additional sources of power and clean water. We have been working cooperatively with them throughout their project to provide um, help whenever we can um, with whatever they need. And on the other side of that coin, they have helped us with a great many things as we've been working to get our project uh, up and online. Gunnett Creek is one of around 20 hydro projects across southeast Alaska. It's IPEX third, and there's a fourth in the works in Angoon. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. Taking a look at the community calendar. Permits are not needed to cut a Christmas tree on the Tongass National Forest for personal use. Households are limited to one Christmas tree of any species per year. To confirm land ownership and see other Forest Service guidelines, see the community calendar posting. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.